Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks for Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. It is Talk Back Tuesday. Jay Zawoski with you here. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Lockdown Blackhawks. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And before we get to your questions and to your emails and to your voicemails, want to remind everybody that Blackhawks March Sadness goes live today at noon, Tuesday, the 24th, at noon, those uh, those those brackets will be live on the Locked On Blackhawks Twitter account at lo underscore Blackhawks. So if you want to vote, you've got to follow Locked On Blackhawks on Twitter again at lo underscore Blackhawks. The whole first round will be played today, Tuesday. So get those votes in. We've got the terrible transactions, the horrible moments, the busts, and the villains. Regions want to get your votes and see who reigns supreme in March Sadness for the Blackhawks. We are doing a bracket style thing network wide here on Lockdown Blackhawks on the Lockdown Podcast Network, rather. So hopefully, uh, you can check out some of the other podcasts like Lockdown NHL, Lockdown whatever whatever other team you're interested in. There's a podcast for. So check it out again. Ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Lockdown Blackhawks or Lockdown NHL. It's the best and easiest way to listen while you're working from home in these uncertain times. So you know the Twitter account, the voicemail, 708-653-0572. Follow my personal Twitter account, at jayzawaski670, and of course the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, at MadhousePod. I said yesterday that no questions were off limits. They were all basically still hockey, but there were a couple in there that sort of skewed on the line of non-hockey questions, so I'm excited to answer those as well so we're going to get right to it a lot of the voicemailers wanted to just sort of reminisce about nashville game five which is what we watched together last week and now nbc sports chicago is like showing all these games again so i'm thinking our next watch party would be this thursday vancouver at chicago it's game two of the vancouver series it's kind of the next one that works out on our schedule That's Thursday at 7 o'clock on NBC Sports Chicago. Watch that Game 2, 2010, Round 2, Game 2 against Vancouver. The date was May 3rd, 2010. I don't want to spoil it, but the Hawks win. (laughs) It's going to be fun to watch. So tune into that one. We'll do another post-game style show on Friday. I'm also going to try to do a hot mic broadcast that night as well. So if you want to watch along on Thursday night with me and potentially my podcast partner, James Naveau, he's got to get his, his work computer up to snuff. They got to get Skype installed on there for him to do hot mic with me. But one way or another, we'll be there. Download the hot mic app, enter the promo code Madhouse when you sign up. It will help me out. And we can watch the Hawks and Preds from 2010 together on Thursday night. I'll be on your second screen. The Hawks will be on your main screen. And we can interact throughout the game. So check that out on Hot Mike. All right, let's begin the Talk Back Tuesday segment of the show with a voicemail. AJ, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of questions or comments about this based off of Scott Powers' article in The Athletic on Rocky Wirtz's comment about John McDonough, Stan Bowman, and Carlton all for sure being back next year. Um, and you being the optimist, I'm curious what your thoughts are. 
uh, based on what you were saying, especially with the young defensive core, uh, was giving you reason for optimism in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I'm pretty optimistic too, but it seems to me that unless there's dramatic changes from the roster perspective, the Hawks will be in a similar position like they were this year and the last year. And even if we say that this new young core that's coming up, Strom, Boquist, Debrinkin has a bounce back year, maybe Ian Mitchell can do something or even um, some of the younger guys and Rockford, the rest of the league is improving. And the West that was pretty bad this year is probably going to be much better next year. So I'm kind of losing a little bit of my optimism, but it seems like the Hawks are just saying we're okay with the status quo. Um, I'm a season ticket holder. There's plenty of empty seats, but they're obviously still selling or at least selling out. It seems like they're just trying to buy some time and hope that the young core that they have right now is going to get to a higher level. And maybe in the 22-23 season is the year they make their final run for it. And after that, Kane and Taser off the books. So I've been there for a long, long time. I'm a, a diehard Hawks fan. But the, my big question for you is, is, do you actually think there's a legitimate chance that we'll see Kane, Tay, Seaver, Keith, one, have a chance to even raise the cup or even raise the cup in a Chicago uniform, or is that window gone? Thanks for everything you do. I listen every morning, and I listen to the Madhouse podcast as well, so appreciate everything you do. Take care. Thank you for the voicemail. Uh, good questions, and this is sort of um, – I'm trying to word this correctly. I, look, in an ideal world – you would see a team on paper in the Blackhawks situation with a huge payroll that has missed the playoffs now for three straight seasons. And, um, you know, even with, and I've listed this before, all the things that kind of went their way this year, Crawford and Leonard playing great every night, the emergence of Doc, Boquist, some other young players, etc. Not huge offensive numbers, but they contributed from the vast majority of the season. And they still weren't ready to get there in the playoffs. So you would look at that kind of on paper and say, yeah, probably some changes are made. But here's two things. One, and I've said this before, but I can't assume everybody listens to every podcast, so I'm going to repeat myself a few times, so bear with me. And if you do listen to every episode, thank you so much. Um, if there was going to be a change with Stan Bowman, it was very likely going to be someone from inside the organization who would have a very similar philosophy to what Stan Bowman had. Now, I've been a, I was a Stan Bowman defender for a long time. The guy's got skins on the wall. He's he did a really good job for a really long time, and I found myself fighting his battles a lot earlier in my hockey career and my podcast career. Uh, sort of talking about this stuff, I felt like I was nuts. Like Stan Bowman's doing a really good job. Sure, there's been a few things that you know over the years he's lost deals because. He had some salary cap issues, which is sort of the cost of winning. But since the summer of 2015, after that cup, there's been way more failures and successes. And even though we all love Kirby Doc, right? We all really like what we've seen from him. The safer pick and the pick that filled a bigger need was Bowen Byram. And maybe when it's all said and done, Bowen Byram will not be as good of a player as Kirby Doc. That's certainly a possibility. It absolutely is. But he, like even then, that pick was kind of like, ugh, no one saw Kirby Doc at three, really. That was kind of a reach, right? So even though we're happy with it, and even though we like the player, did he do the right thing, okay? So that's sort of my thought on Bowman and kind of the philosophy of the organization. I'm kind of all over the place here. Sorry, bear with me. 
The other factor is, you asked, are they trying to buy time and win around this core? I think the answer to that question is yes. And I don't know that what they've probably found out is that they don't really have another choice. No one's going to take on Jonathan Taves at ten and a half million. No one's a few teams might take on Patrick Kane at that money. But again, teams that are contending that would want to add Patrick Kane don't have the cap space to add ten and a half million dollars in salary. It's just not feasible for most teams in the NHL. Now, could the Hawks swallow hard and 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 pay half the deal to ship them out? Sure, but they're probably better off at that point having guys on the team, right? That's so it almost feels like their hands are tied, and the only thing they can do is try to rebuild on the fly and and win with the core they have. Now, that's not impossible. If, like you said, Doc takes a big step forward and Boquist takes a big step forward in terms of production and Alex it has a bounce-back year and a couple other things work out, they could be a playoff team. They could be better than a playoff team. But again, they need a lot of things to go right. And I just, I, I don't know how realistic that is, A. But at the same time, they're not going to be able to sell. That's not really an option for them. So this is sort of the hand they've dealt themselves, and they have to deal with it, and it looks like, yeah, you're right. They're going to have to do their best to try to get back in the playoffs and catch lightning in a bottle with this core because it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of other teams interested in taking on the Hawks' bad and or big contracts. It's Talkback Tuesday here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day, Jay Zawoski here, reminding you that Blackhawks March Sadness kicks off today at noon on the Locked on Blackhawks Twitter account. Follow that at LO underscore Blackhawks to vote. They'll start coming out kind of rapid fire right around noon. We'll go through the entire first round at noon. The bracket will be up there shortly before printable. You can play along at home and uh, place your bet. So that should be up sometime in the early morning, uh, if not, you know, mid-morning, around 10 or 11 o'clock, right before the brackets, po- right before the games post. So you'll have time to review and fill it out on your own and try to guess how things go. All right. Talk Back Tuesday, though, is the most important thing here. So let's get back to the emails. This one comes from Kyle. He says, I have one for you. What two NHL players, one forward, one defenseman, or goalie from the last decade would you love to see or love to have seen hit the ice playing for the Hawks and why? Kyle says his forward is Vladimir Tarasenko. It blows him away every time he sees him play with a skill, IQ, and assertiveness on the ice. He's the right mix of traits that would pair well with the Hawks' style of play over the last decade. Any top Hawks lines I could think of would have been a great fit for Tarasenko. Defenseman Victor Hedman, super smart and gifted two-way defenseman. He was a force on the ice during the 2015 Cup Tournament. I think he would have paired well with any number of our D-men to create a seriously deadly defensive line. Good question. And I try my best not to read these ahead of time. I kind of go into the email, copy and paste. That's probably why I fumble over half the emails half the time. Victor Hedman's a really good pick on defense. I'm going to go, though, with Brent Burns. I love not only the way he plays, I love the charisma, I love all the things that Brent Burns is all about. Good offense, 
really good defense. The whole thing, I love it. I love the entire Brent Burns thing. As far as forwards go, is it a cop-out to say Alex Ovechkin? I mean, he's one of the best players in the history of the game. So it feels like I'm sort of cheating. So maybe I'll give you a, a less obvious one than that. But you talk about an electrifying player, bone-crushing hits, awesome highlight reel goals, killer slap shot, great personality, funny, all those things. Alex Ovechkin would have been awesome to watch on the Blackhawks draw these years. So that one's a little obvious. So I'm going to go outside because there's certain guys you watch growing up that are like, I know he's not the best player, but he's my favorite player, right? Like back in the day, I loved Doug Gilmore when he was in Calgary and when he was in Toronto, he was one of my favorites. Um, You know, Bob Probert was on the Red Wings for a long time, but from afar, I loved him. Sergei Fedorov was another guy like that for me that was like, damn, that guy, even though he kills my team, I cannot deny how much I love that guy. If we're limiting this to a decade, oh, by the way, Peter Forsberg, one of my all-time favorite players, but we're limiting this to the last decade. So that makes it a little bit tougher. Hmm. All right. For funsies, I'm just going to say it. I would have loved to see Yarmir Yager play a few of his last years in Chicago. That would have been fun. He could have played in those dynasty teams, a third-line role, a power play role. That would have been a lot of fun to watch happen. So my official answer is Alex Ovechkin. My more fun, less obvious, less cheat code answer is end-of-career Yarmir Yager providing a depth role on the Blackhawks championship teams. Great question, Kyle. Let's go to another voicemail. This one's long. This is a nice reminiscing voicemail about Nashville Game 5. Hi, Jay. Dale on the south side. Watch the game Tuesday, Game 5 from 2010. I know it's a few days later, but I was at that game with my wife. And my wife, sorry. Her and I had only been to a few playoff games uh, ever. And uh, that was one of them. And one of both of our greatest sports memories ever and I was watching it, and she came home from work, and I was like, hey, I'm watching that game, that game five that we were at. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though we both knew what happened, just being there and putting ourselves back in that place, it was so great. And when Kane tied that goal and hosted went in the box for five minutes and comes out and scores, and we both, you know, just, yes, and just exploded. And, like, she was, like, tears in her eyes, just reliving that moment. It was so great. What a freaking team. Good Lord. This has kind of been fun. Make the most of this uh, quarantine, right? So, watching these old games. Thanks for doing this, and uh, it's going to be fun. Take care, Jay. Dale, thanks, as always, for the voicemail. Very much appreciate it. Yeah, that game, you know, it's funny. Looking back on it, my memories of watching that game were 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 that of frustration. And maybe it's when I'm talking about watching it for the first time, watching it in real time, watching it with stress, not knowing the outcome. Maybe it's the fact that they blew a three a three one lead, but the Hawks played really well in that game, and Nashville had some some they made the most of their scoring opportunities. Let's put it that way. That win to me was kind of defining. Had they lost that game, they've got to go back to Nashville. They've got to win in Nashville. After blowing a 3-1 lead at home 
Then they got to win that and come back and and win game seven. It's a different series, and who knows? Maybe they don't even win the series if they don't win that game five. You never know, right? And it was so close. I mean, there was a moment in overtime where the Predators had a shot that like sort of fluttered over Niemi's head and just somehow did not go towards the net. He never saw it. A lot of players on the ice didn't see it. It got deflected. It's kind of like knuckleballed towards the net and just went wide or just went over. My mind's eye has sort of uh, faded on exactly what happened with the puck. But it was really close to going the other way into that game being won by Nashville. Who knows what would have been, right? Which They talk about the butterfly effect. Who knows what would have happened had the Blackhawks lost Nashville game five? Do they win the cup in 2010? Do they go on and win more cups? Who knows? Because all of a sudden the Hawks win a cup. Players around the league see that celebration in Chicago, see how important it was. And they become a destination for players. It it alters the course of the franchise's history potentially. That's why it's one of the biggest goals scored in franchise history even though it wasn't a deciding series-clinching or cup-clinching goal. Thanks for tuning in to Lockdown Blackhawks Talk Back Tuesday episode. Reminder, Blackhawks March Sadness starts today at noon on the Lockdown Blackhawks Twitter account at L-O underscore Blackhawks. Make sure you follow that now so as soon as those contest get underway you can vote and you can contribute it should be a lot of fun really interested in how this is going to go i hope you guys like it i hope you're into it uh it should be a fun thing to do lots of places doing brackets this time of year by the way if you listen to 670 the score march fatness got underway from my other my fourth my third podcast the i'm fat podcast march fatness is underway if you've never checked out the i'm fat podcast make sure you do it no hockey at all it's all about food and eating, and fun, and fat people culture. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. People really seem to like it. So March Fatness kicks off today as well. So if you want to vote on that, follow I'm Fat Pod on Twitter, no apostrophe, I-M-F-A-T-P-O-D, and then check out the I'm Fat Podcast on uh, radio.com or wherever you find your podcast. It's really, really fun. So lots of things kicking off today, but we've got a lot of Talk Back Tuesday questions to get to yet, so let's do that here. Ryan sends an email. It says, really fun looking back on Nashville Game 5, which I think turned out to be the most important Blackhawks game of the decade. My biggest takeaway was that I forgot what a true playoff atmosphere was like. I remember thinking last year's Avs and Stars weekend had a playoff feel, and even this year's Jets, Kane's 1,000-point game, and Panthers games had a playoff atmosphere. After watching the game, I realized how wrong I was. The intensity and atmosphere of Game 5 was on another level compared to those other four games mentioned. I think it just shows how bad we miss playoff hockey in Chicago. Love to hear your thoughts. Stay safe and stay sane, Ryan. Ryan, thank you so much for the email. Uh, Biggest win of the decade, biggest win of the dynasty. That's tough. Maybe. I'm not going to dismiss it. I'd have to really think about that a little bit. But you're right about the playoff atmosphere. And I think part of that, too, was the... Not to us, but to most of Chicago, the overnight mayhem 
that the Blackhawks brought. They went from totally off the radar to, in 2009, making an unexpected playoff run that caught people's attention. Then 2010, they were one of the best teams in the league, and then people really jumped on during those playoffs. So you were seeing the beginning of Blackhawks frenzy. At the same time, it was still early enough where most of the crowd were holdover season ticket holders and people that were true Blackhawks fans. And I'm not going to rip on... Look, when teams get successful, games become a destination. And when that happens, it's a good thing because money's coming in, the team can spend money, etc. Okay? But the fallout of that is you get people at the game who are not always there for just the game. They're there to be seen. They're there to have fun. They're there for the experience. But they're not living and dying with every play, right? So that to me is why 2010's playoff atmospheres were different than pretty much all of them past that. And even late, like in 2015, there were some playoff games for the Hawks that were downright quiet. And it was troubling. Like, why is no one making noise at this game? And when I, truth be told, when I go to games, well, partially because of my job, I can't just be like a, a raving lunatic hockey fan when I'm working sports media. That's not ideal, right? Um, but even back in the day, I was always sort of a, I, I'm not a loud person. I'm an introvert. So I'm not someone who's going to go crazy and paint my chest and all that stuff. But you saw after 2010, as the audience started changing, the atmosphere around the game started changing. And there were some games that, like I said, were really, really quiet, almost like distractingly quiet. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely noticeable. That's one of the main things I noticed in that Nashville Game 5 was how insane the Hawks fans were from start to finish. All right, this email comes from Alex. He says, my favorite memory about the early years of the Cup runs was the rivalry with Vancouver. As long as we're remembering great playoff games, I'm going to take a look at the 2011 series, which the Hawks lost to Vancouver in Game 7, Chris Campoli, in the uh, busts category of uh, March Sadness. Even though it ended in a loss, those games had me on the edge of my seat every night. I also love the regular season brawls between them. Yeah, yeah, fighting is bad, but it was still great fun, and that rival- rivalry helped pull me into hockey. I know you also enjoyed these games. What are some of your memories of them? Alex, P.S., as a fellow food enthusiast, parentheses fat, a fun thing to do while locked up is to get Mexican takeout. Your order enough, you order enough for dinner, and then get an extra order of fajitas and chips with salsa and queso. The next day, you mix those leftovers together and stick it in the oven for a beastie lunch of nachos. Alex, hat tip to you. I tip my fat hat to you, buddy. I really like that. Ordering extra just for tomorrow. That's a power move right there. 2011, my favorite game was game six where the Hawks had to force a game seven. That was Ben Smith in overtime. So that was a game Corey Schneider starts the game because the Hawks had been in Luongo's head, messing things up for him, you know, getting in his crawl a little bit. So they started Corey Schneider that game. Michael Froelich scores on a penalty shot. On the shot, Corey Schneider injures himself. Roberto Luongo, who wasn't on the bench for Vancouver, has to come out. Hawks fans are just raining down on Luongo. It was awesome. The energy in the building that night was absolutely insane. 
Ben Smith wins it in overtime. Of all people, Ben Smith wins it in overtime, finds a puck in front of the net and just sort of redirects it over the shoulder of Roberto Luongo, and Game 7 is forced. I was at that game. It was absolute mayhem. I just told you I was not a raving lunatic at Hawks games. That day I was a raving effing lunatic. (laughs) Because you're coming off your cup. You feel like you're the better team. The rivalry is well established. The Hawks are roaring back in the series. They've got to force a game seven, and they do. All the circumstances around it, that game was awesome. That was a super fun game, 2011. And as this thing goes on, maybe we'll have to get to some 2011 games to watch too, but that's a great call. And that is my favorite memory from the 2011 playoffs, the game they won, not the one they lost. But the whole series was terrific. Hey, Jay, it's Jeff out of Spokane, Washington. With the NHL season being put on hold, I found myself spending a portion of my free time reminiscing over Hawks highlights over the past decade and have really gained an appreciation for how good Brent Seabrook really was, as well as the impact he had towards this team's success. Now, during the Blackhawks' down years, I without doubt have found myself trying to be optimistic about this team, as well as its future. That being said, the question I have for you is, do you think that after Seabrook recovers from his surgeries, he has the potential to reflect his former self? I myself am doubtful he returns to being the player he was in his prime, but I am hesitant to think that if he truly had the health problems he claims he did, having them fixed won't make him return to the be a defenseman that is not just relevant again, but a top four defenseman on this team. Please let me know your thoughts. Thanks. Jeff, thank you very much for the voicemail. I appreciate you taking the time and everybody taking the time to uh, leave a voicemail or an email for Talkback Tuesday. Good question. I do not think it's realistic that Brent Seabrook will ever return to his prime years. There's no chance in hell. Do I think Brent Seabrook can return to the level he was at this season before the injury? Yes, I do. Do I think there's a chance that he could be slightly better with all of these nagging injuries fixed. Yes, I think there's a chance, but I wouldn't bet on it. I'm, the other thing is, I don't know, is he going to play again? I mean, they haven't dismissed the fact that he, you know, they say like, oh, he's going to return to action in six months or whatever it was. And no one's ever said like, he'll be reevaluated then. They have said, They expect a full return to hockey. So it sounds like they're planning on him coming back and playing. And, I mean, where's he going to fit? I guess if he's your sixth defenseman, you could do worse than that, especially if he's got a little bit of a bounce back after finally getting those nagging things fixed. But I don't know. I mean, I love Brent Seabrook. I've said this a million times on the podcast. One of my favorite Hawks of the era. Top three for me. Just love the guy. But he's just done, right? It feels like he's done. And he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who wants to come back and be your number seven. In case someone gets hurt and he comes in and feels... I don't see that for him. I don't see him wanting that. And if he doesn't want that, I don't think the Hawks are going to force him to take it. At the same time, I don't know if they can trade him. I don't know if he'd accept a trade. It's really complicated. But yes, to answer your question, long story short, I do think there's a chance 
he could be slightly better with the time to recover from those injuries, with the surgeries, all those things he underwent, there is a small chance that he could be a better player slightly when he returns uh, next season, if, if in fact he does. All right, couple more I got to whip through real quick. Bob, with a good question. As these trying times continue for all of us, some are re-examining their financial standings. I am finally at the point where I'm ready to drop DirecTV. One of the main reasons I hang on is to watch Blackhawks games. In your opinion, what have you used, and what would you recommend to stream Blackhawks games? Basically looking for other avenues to watch my Hawks that does not require a DirecTV subscription. I cut the cord uh, a couple years ago. I was using PlayStation View, which I really liked. It had NBC Sports Chicago, it had all that stuff. PlayStation View is now defunct. I have gone to YouTube TV, and I love YouTube TV. If you've got a smart TV, you can stream it right through there. They've got seven-day free trials to check it out. It's got all the NBC Sports Chicago channels, NBC Sports Net. It does not have NHL Network. That's one setback, but very few. I think there are no streaming services that have NHL Network, but I have found that I don't really miss it, to be honest with you. Highly recommend PlayStation View. If you're a Cubs fan, I'm sorry, highly recommend YouTube TV. If you're a Cubs fan, be aware YouTube TV does not yet have a deal with Marquee Sports. And as soon as baseball returns, if that's the case, I'll be going to Hulu Live, which I actually switched to last month thinking baseball was coming Seeing they had the marquee deal, I want to get in on that early so I can watch spring training. But then the season gets paused, so I went back to YouTube TV because it's cheaper and I like it better. But if they don't reach a deal with marquee, I'm going to have to go back to Hulu to watch the Cubs. But if you don't care about the Cubs, YouTube TV is absolutely the way to go. That's my recommendation. I love it. The interface is clean. It looks great. Unlimited DVR. It's excellent. And it's got PBS stations, which is a big thing for me. All right. Question here from Sean. What are your thoughts on what's best for the Blackhawks this year? Should they change the format of the playoffs or leave it as is and let us be on the outside looking in so we have a better shot at another good draft pick? Thanks, Sean. Um, Here's what I would like to do with the playoffs. Any team that was within striking distance of a playoff spot. So let's say within eight points, ten points. They should do a play-in tournament. Seed those teams, have them play three games right before the playoffs, right? And then have them, so the teams that are outside, just it'd probably just be, what, probably four teams per conference? Quick three-game play-in series, okay? So the Hawks would have a chance to get in the playoffs that way. Do it on east and west, and then you have the teams that are in you could either have them do like jockeying for position games with teams that are already in, or you can have them play at the same time as the playing games and give them longer rest. There's a lot of ways to work through it, but that'd be a fun way to do it, but they'll never do it. That'll never happen. It's a pipe dream. All right, last group of questions. I got a lot here from Alexi, our guy, so I'm going to go ahead and answer all of them because he's a good guy and always takes time to email the show. He says, number one, what are some of the things you've been thankful for being? Number one, what are some of the things that you've been thankful for being able to do during this time 
that you may have otherwise been too busy to do. Spending time with family, playing video games, practice the skill, etc. Uh, it's been really great to spend time with my family. There's no doubt about it. My wife and I uh, are working from home. My daughter's home from school. That's been a bit of a challenge because she's bored. She's frustrated. She can't see her friends. And we're trying to create some semblance of home or of school rather. And she just kind of feels it's a vacation and it's a fine line and it's difficult and it's hard to navigate. But yeah, I've been playing some more games. I haven't been able to really like what I want to do is clean my house, but I had been sick for the first week of this whole thing. So I didn't really have a chance to do that. I want to clean up the studio a little bit and get it like a little more functional than just like a computer in a storage room. But spending time with family has been great. And the things we have been doing, we've been going walking around nature preserves in our neighborhood, which has been really, really great. It's, we have a lot of them around us here in Homewood, Illinois. We've got Isaac Walton, which is where my daughter plays softball. There's a forest preserve all around there with some lakes. There's Irons Oaks. There's tons of places to go, and we've been doing a lot of that. When we see our friends, we get together with three of our best friends and or two of our best friends and their kids. We keep our distance, and we just walk the trails. That's really all we've been doing. That's it. So that's been nice. All right, number two, what has been your standout interview of your career and why? Also, what player or coach encounter for you is most memorable? All right, my favorite interview I've ever done, and – I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's the most memorable. The Hawks won the Cup in 2013 in Boston. I was in Boston at uh, our sports channel, uh, WEEI Studios, doing a show from their production room. So I'm watching the game in the studio by myself. On the other side of the glass is another show happening, a Bruins fan watching the game at the same time. This is the 17 seconds game, okay? So both of us are watching different TVs, stressing out, like kind of like acknowledging each other throughout the whole thing. We can't hear each other, but we can see each other. Hawks win. I go on the air and all hell breaks loose. Somehow our connection drops off. Things go crazy. So I had to call in to the score on my cell phone to do the show. Okay. On the other phone, in my other hand, is the engineer in Boston. So on one phone, I'm interviewing John McDonough, who's on the ice after the Hawks have won the Stanley Cup. Hey, John, congratulations. What's it feel like to win your second Stanley Cup in in three years, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, Jay, it's great. So as he's responding, I move that phone away, put the engineer's phone to my ear. Hey, I was connected 20 minutes ago. I'm not connected anymore. What changed? What do I need to do? Blah, blah. He's talking me through it. I listen in. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. John's still talking. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> do these settings. Fix these settings so we're on the air correctly. Okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, good, good. Okay. Yeah, John. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, what a great moment, right? Uh, 17 seconds. Unbelievable. Talking to the engineer again. Back and forth. It went that way for about 10 minutes. I'm in the basement of a radio station talking to John McDonough on one phone and a radio engineer on the other. That was incredibly memorable. What are my earliest video game memories? NHL 94. That was, that truly, that game is what got me really, really into hockey. I was always a Hawks fan. I loved JR, but it was more casual. You know, like, they were never on TV, so I couldn't really watch them at that point in my life. I wasn't old enough to drive, so I couldn't go to games myself. But in 94, when the EA Sports games came out, that's how I learned the league. That's how I learned the other players. And that's when I truly became 
a huge hockey fan. Absolutely. Uh, one more. Do you think the Blackhawks' defense is good enough next season if Seabrook is at least the same level he was this season or maybe has an extra spring in his step? Mata gets bought out, and we have Mitchell, Bodan, Carlson up alongside Keith DeHaan and Murphy, let's say. Ugh, good enough to do what? Good enough to make the playoffs? Probably. Probably if everything else I mentioned earlier on the show breaks right. Probably. But Brent Seabrook has to be a notch better than he was this year, I think. Oh, I got one more question here. I'll answer it. Sorry, Grace. I had it at, my, at the bottom of my sheet. She said, Jay, I hope you're staying healthy. No hockey sucks, but thankful for your hard work with keeping us entertained. And now for my question, what were your thoughts when you heard Doc was staying with Seabrook? Do you think that all the veterans have a huge impact on Doc's development, or is he just that good? Nothing against Strom. I love him, but he was drafted at third like Doc and didn't break through like Doc at first. Thanks. Grace, good question. I was really happy to see Brent Seabrook take Kirby Doc under his arm. And part of it is... I know Brent Seabrook knows the game as well as anybody on the team. If anyone's going to be a future coach, it's probably him or Taves. Um, And he's not the warmest personality in the world. He's not a jerk by any means, but he's not like your typical, like, hey, kid, come here and learn from the old veteran. He's kind of a ball buster. So to see him willing to take in Doc and sort of mentor him, that was huge. I don't think there's a better guy in the Blackhawks to do that for a young player than Brent Seabrook and for Kirby Doc to experience that acceptance from day one. I can tell you, like Brent Seabrook's an intimidating character for a young player, right? And he has the respect of everyone in that locker room, veteran kid alike. So to come in and to make and to have that acceptance right off the bat, huge, huge for Kirby Doc in his first season as a professional. All right, thank you so much. Long episode there. So many great questions. I'm glad I can get them all in. Uh, Thank you all for your emails and your voicemails. Remember, one last reminder, follow the Locked on Blackhawks Twitter account at LO underscore Blackhawks to vote in March Sadness. Round one gets underway today at noon. Look for the bracket shortly before that and vote. Not early, not often. You can only vote once. Twitter account, but I'd love you to participate in Blackhawks March Sadness here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.